I think this notion of, oh, we have to have these careers and we have to go to college and we have to do all these things and get to this place in life. I think it's kind of bullshit. You can bleep me out for that one. But, you know, because happiness looks different for different people. And I think, especially, you know, I was 38, right? When I decided to make a life change, career change and, and start the business, I think you just have to get to a place in your life where you have confidence to say, this is what I wanna do and I'm gonna go for it. Welcome to the Impact Roadmap, a podcast designed to give you the practical, concrete steps to grow your nonprofit or future forward business in a sustainable way. I'm your host, Joey Goon. Let's get into the episode. Tell us a little bit about you and like who you are, why you're here, <laughs> and and then let's get into your business. Uh, well, my name? Yeah. My name? Yeah. Uh, we could go as simple I as don't first know. and last I name. don't know. Like, a little bit of background okay. um, on your, your journey. Um. Tamara Keith, right? Um, youngest of five, four older brothers. Um, I don't know who am I. That's a funny question. Um, uh, I used to be a great spouse when I had one. Uh, I'm a great sister. I'm a great friend. Uh, I'm the uh, flavor temptress for Clementine's Naughty and Nice Creamery here in St. Louis. It's an uh, amazing place, by the way. Thank you. Gone there. I've been a customer for many years before I even knew you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, um, I uh, come from a large Irish-Italian family, and I come from very humble beginnings. And we didn't really have anything growing up. And so when I finally got older and educated and moved out and got into my corporate life, I had very lofty goals and dreams, and I accomplished all of them. And I would... You know, I'm the only person in my family to ever go to college and become successful, as I guess what most people would deem as that. And after 25 years in corporate America and climbing to the top and getting to every place I thought I'd ever wanted to be, and I made more money than I ever thought I could, I made, I made more money than my, I made more money in a year than my dad did in 10. Damn. And I was the most unhappy person I knew. In 2012, I think I traveled 262 days a year. I was in every country. I had like this super fabulous job, you know, that my dream job. And I was just so miserable. I was so unhappy. And one day I was with a bunch of girlfriends at like the Ozarks drinking coffee. And I just opened the kimono and started crying. And I was like, oh my God, I'm 38 years old. I have no husband. I have no family. I have no kids. I never see my friends. I never see my extended family. I live in this big house and I drive a fancy car and I have a fat bank account and I'm miserable. And oh, by the way, TMI, but I hadn't had sex in six months. And I was hot then. Like, you know, um, and I was like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't living. Like, I have everything that everyone would expect someone to want and to have. And I was just miserable. What was missing? Fulfillment or purpose, purpose, you know, I would, I would, you know, I did marketing strategy and brand for over 20 years and that was for Abbott or DuPont. Yeah. Yeah. You name the list. It it goes on. Um, I was in technology, you know, I was in the early nineties and I had a pretty awesome career and I, and I think I just, I was always really good at what I did. Right. Whatever I touched turned to gold. Like I was really smart. I was really 
successful. Um, and I just, I just didn't have that meaning or that purpose. I needed something more. I wanted a real relationship that was in the city that I lived. You know, I missed coming home. I, you know, I was that token female that always said yes, that they like, you know, surrounded and I went up the corporate ladder and I was given every opportunity. Right. So like I was that yes woman. Mm. Um, and that was a choice. I made choices to do that. I made choices not to have a family. I made, you know, I just made choices younger in my life. Um, that kind of caught up to me and I said, wow, this, this really isn't what it's cracked up to be. Hmm. So that fateful morning at like the Ozarks with my girlfriends, I was breaking down and I just, I'm so miserable. And one of my girlfriends turns to me and she goes, quit. What do you mean quit? Quit. I said, you don't quit corporate America. Not where I was. Right. I mean, I don't know that many people that made over a half a million dollars a year and traveled all over, you know, I, I like that was, that was, that was it. That, that was That's it. Like the, right. Um, the American dream. Yeah. As yeah. Much of America would sort of. And especially because I came it. from such humble beginnings where we had nothing. Yeah. And I, I come from a place of food insecurity and housing insecurity, you know, like we were really, really poor. And so I worked my whole life to get to a place where I had financial security. And I thought, well, if I can just get there and not be worried about having a roof over my head, not be worried about having enough food. You know, it's funny that those things stay with you throughout your whole life, even though logically, you know, okay, I'm not going to be homeless and I'm not going to be hungry. Those things stay with you. I mean, to this day, the first thought when I wake up in the morning is I can't be homeless and I can't be hungry. Isn't that amazing? I've heard from like so many different people that, you know, entrepreneurs, coaches, mentors, authors, mentors of mine, people that have coached and trained me. They're like, you get to a point that, by the way, I, similar to your story, I have a very similar story, which I won't go into because, you know, I don't want to take up time and go into that particular story, but similar situation in my life, I invested all of the money in my retirement plan and money that I had saved up in a life coach. I went to personal development retreats. I invested in the coaching program. And at the time they were telling me, these were multimillionaire billionaire entrepreneurs that had started fortune 100 companies. They're like, I'm telling you right now, like this was from a billionaire said, I'm more concerned today than I was when I was broke. Cause now my concerns are just different about, Oh my God, now I've seen it what happens if I lose it all? And so now it's this, there's that whole like scarcity mindset of, wow, I've built it, have the empire. Now I've got to protect it and nurture it and make sure I don't lose it and leave a legacy. So like, I think that's what you're speaking of. It's like, and you've seen both extremes, mm-hmm. which one. And for me at the time is like, it's easy for you to say you have a billion dollar company and that it right. And here I am a broke kid that just graduated college <laughs> with not two nickels to rub together. Cause I just left my six figure corporate career and invested all my money in personal development <laughs> and started this or, you know, took over. Sure, sure. And I was like, easy for you to say, right. What are your thoughts on like, you've now built this company, you know, you're in a point in your life where you're making great money. You're providing for your employees. You're involved in the community. Um, 
what it, like, what's the answer? Oh, I don't know if there is an answer. Well, I think, I think for, for a few years, I had to really train myself to get out of that scarcity mindset, right? Because when you're in that scarcity mindset, you're also super risk averse because what you've got, you've got, and you don't want to let it go. Yeah. And so in order to push myself as an entrepreneur and as a leader to scale and grow, you have to be willing to take on risk. And that flies directly in the face of that scarcity mindset. So I worked many years on that, I think. Um, but I guess I've looked at it as, um, I was there once, right? So there you have is a no fear of, there is no fail. Like yeah. there is no plan B. There is no second option. Like we're in it to win it and everything we do. Like, I guess I've bought into the notion of almost like manifestation and, mm -hmm. I really do believe that in the laws of attraction and you, the secret. You, yeah, I'm yeah. a huge believer in the secret. You live as if it is and it will be. Yeah. And so I've done that with my whole career. I've done that with, with my whole business. Um, I just know that it's going to work and I live and believe as it, as it is. And I operate from like my authentic self. And I think that's part of the magic is people get that. They see that they understand that. Do you think that because you've also seen the, like, you've, you come, you've come from below the poverty line and you've been in that extreme that you don't fear failure. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. Like you don't have an aversion to risk because you know that it's like, you've seen both extremes and you're not yeah, afraid. Maybe. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? I move home and live in my parents' basement or I move in with my friends, you know, in their guest house, whatever, right? Yeah. That's the worst thing that can happen. Okay. Well, I got a really good education that I gave myself and that I worked my ass off for. So I'll always be able to go get another job, maybe sure. not at the same level, and maybe I won't make the same amount of money. But I think once I got my education, because education is the only thing no one can take away from you. you everything else in this world can be taken away from you except your education. Once I had my education, I think my mindset flipped that I knew no matter what I was going to be okay. And also because I come from humble beginnings and I've done like every job I've worked, <laughs> I've waitress, like there's no job that I'm afraid of or above, like even in my own business, right? Like there's nothing in my company I haven't done. I can wash buckets. I can make ice. Like yeah. I cleaned, you know, in the summers we have the, you know, we're the first job for many young people. And they come in and a lot of these young people have never cleaned a toilet before. And they're That's just, where my head went. And, like, they're, and, they're, and they're just grossed out. They're like, you want me to clean a toilet? And so I'll get a text from a manager saying, I got a group of kids here that think they're too good to wash toilets or clean the toilet. And I said, okay, I'll be there in an hour. So then I show up and say, okay, time to clean toilets. And they're like, their eyes get big. And they're like, you're going to, I'm like, of course I am. I'm going to show you how to do it. And then you can do it. So their eyes get really wide and they're like, oh crap, like if she, if she can wash the toilets, then I guess we have to learn how to clean the toilets. So, you know, I've always just taken it from that approach as well as like, I can always find a job. I can always, I'm not above doing anything. Yeah. Right. To, to survive or take care of my family. It's such a meaningful approach to take. Um, I'm with you too. We finally, we hired a cleaning company that comes in now twice a, twice a month to clean our office. But before that it was me. <laughs> Like I was sweeping the floors and cleaning the toilet and keeping the office. Cause like 
it's, it's not, it's, you know, for me, it's, I agree with you. It's like, there's no job that's beneath me, but it's also, I think if people see the owners willing to do that, right. Like they're also willing to put in that the a, extra, grit. the extra. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Digress. I don't know. What did you ask me? <laughs> um, I don't know. We were talking about so many things. I know. Just bouncing around. That fateful day, that fateful day. What was the, the catalyst for like, what was that spark in your mind when you're talking with your girlfriends in the Ozarks for you to say, you know what, like you made the decision, but what was the catalyst, the spark my girlfriend. that encouraged that decision? It, it was my girlfriend. Literally, you know, your, your close friends know you sometimes better than you know yourself. Yeah. So when we were having that conversation that morning and she was like, quit. And I'm like, mm, you don't quit corporate America. What are you talking about? And I, and at this point I'm like the ugly cry, right? Snot down the face. And I'm like, well, what would I do? And my other girlfriend laughs and she goes, you know, you're always bitching. St. Louis doesn't have good ice cream. You're always complaining. Our neighborhood doesn't have an ice cream shop. And by the way, your ice cream, you make ice cream better than anybody I know. And you love doing it more than anything. And I was like, hmm, she's right. She's like, why don't you open do an that. ice cream shop? And it, like, it, like this light bulb, this epiphany kind of went off in that morning. I'm like, wow, okay. What's the worst thing that could happen? I fail. Okay. Pick your feet up. You know, it's, it's not about how you fail. It's how you pick yourself up and, and move on to the next thing. And so that weekend we wrote my business plan put together my financials and my PowerPoint deck. And I resigned two later, two weeks later. Hmm. You, you, uh, mentioned in, uh, there was an article that you sent me online that there is a $2 ice cream machine that your mom bought at a garage sale. Do you still have that ice cream machine? I wish I did. Yeah. I wish I did. That would be worth a bazillion dollars oh to me gosh. right now. But yeah, Frank. I have incredible memories. Incredible and memories. so all of that, that, that passion really stems from community and family and just being in the kitchen together. Yeah. And ice cream changes lives, man. Right. It just builds memories. It builds community. Changed my life when I was a kid. Changed my life as an adult. Right. Starting Clementine's. Like ice cream is this really powerful, it's the emotional, it's the most emotional, sorry, it's the most emotional food product or food item or most emotional food that there is, right? When everyone thinks back to their first memory of ice cream, right? It's with their grandparents, it's with their family, it's with friends, Whatever it is, like it's so, um, people have so much emotion tied into that and the memories. Um, ice cream is just this beautiful thing. And you know, it's funny, I, I, I often think about this. You know, we live in this world where we're so connected. We have our iPhones, iPhones and our iPads and computers and laptops and you name it, right? We're in this connected like world, yet the thing that we all long for the most is to be connected to each other, right? And when you hold an ice cream cone, you're not holding a phone, right? And when you're eating ice cream, you're connected, right? You can't be doing a million other things, right? And so ice cream is super beautiful that way, that it really does bring people together and create memories. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. 
there's so many thoughts swirling around in my head based on what you just shared. And that was a really profound share, I think, for us too and me selfishly, because like as an event production company, we talk to event organizers all the time about this. And events, if you just go in and do sort of a formulated conference or fundraising event and it's program heavy and you have a person on the stage and there's some videos and people laugh, they cry, they dance, they go home, you're missing an opportunity because what people are longing for is not another person on stage telling them about how great your organization is. They're longing for turning to their neighbor and connecting to the person next to them. And if you miss that, you miss everything. And if you don't create community, then this group of individuals won't go on to do the incredible things that they need to do as a community. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that can be said for ice cream, that could be said for events, that can be said for so many different things. We're longing for the same things. It's just a different flavor of how we get those things. See how I threw the flavor No pun in there, intended there. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting how there's so much overlap Mm-hmm. in our industry. And so we're all longing for the same things. We're so, we're so connected and actually that makes us so disconnected, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, th- I think that's why ice cream for me, it matters. I, I say all the time, it's not just ice cream, it's purpose. What's your most, I, I just, I want to go here for a second because okay. you were, were sort of in this, you know, like reflecting on moments and sure. And, what ice cream means to us. What's your most pronounced or profound memory or moment in time that you can remember from your past when you shared ice cream with a loved one? Like, is there a, a memory that comes to mind for you or your first ice cream that you ever had? I think my first memory of ice cream was with my grandmother and we were sitting on the shag carpet because everybody had shag carpet then. I, I just remember like texturally, like I was sitting on the carpet and my grandmother was sitting on the carpet with me. Uh, she was wearing like this brown pantsuit that gram- grandmas used to wear like in the 70s and 80s. And we were eating ice cream cones on the floor and we were laughing so hard we were snorting, right? Eating ice cream. And it was like, so much fun. And it was like pure love and pure joy. And just like her and I together, like nothing else mattered in the world. It was just us together and just showing love and having fun with each other. And she was, she was a silly grandma, right? She wasn't like a grandmother. She was like a silly grandma who just like loved me more than anything. Um, and I was really, really little. That's like my, that's my first real memory of ice cream, but I have so many wonderful memories, like making ice cream with my family and my mom as a kid, right? With that, I was so excited that day that she brought home that $2 hand crank and boom, like ice cream machine. That was just, I was so excited. I was so excited and I had like amazing, you know, my mom died when I was 21. And so she had always been the one to kind of be in charge of the ice cream making in our house on Sundays and as a family. Um, and then when she passed away, it was just bestowed to me probably cause I was the only other girl and my brothers, you know, they, they didn't really care that much, but not like I cared. Um, and so, yeah, I just have incredibly beautiful memories of making ice cream with my mom and, 
You know, we were poor. We didn't have any money. She was the first one to make like crazy ice cream flavors. She'd go into the fridge and she'd, you know, I remember, God, I was so small. She made a tomato and feta cheese ice cream. Mm. Back in the savory. Yeah. Like savory and sweet, but it's because that's all we had left in the fridge. Like she, she just like, what do we have in there that could be fun and interesting and like my mom was making crazy flavors way before it was ever a thing. Mom's a food scientist. She was, and she didn't even know it. <laughs> That's amazing. Right? So yeah, I have like, I have a million like amazing memories around ice cream. And I, I and, and it's hard to say now because of what I do with Clementines. I get amazing. I mean, I get new memories and amazing experiences all the time. From that, that one first memory, that first scoop to now millions of scoops served. Literally. How cool is that? That's pretty amazing. Like, and you know, it's funny thinking about, you know, when you start a business, it's very myopic. It's, it's about like, okay, this is my business and what do I want to build and what do I want to create and what's my vision and how do I want to design the store and what are the flavors that I want to do? And then I think as we've grown, it's, it's not about me anymore. And, and my vision, right. It's, it's, it's about the team and our employees and the city and what we're doing, right. It's so interesting how it just evolves and changes into something bigger than us. Right. Which is wonderful. It's a huge responsibility. Um, right. Cause I got to make sure that I'm good. Right. Cause I'm, I'm leading this crazy group. You know, I started in my kitchen with me eight years ago yeah. and now I have a 158 families that rely on me to make good decisions about our strategy and how we're going to grow and what we're going to do and what does our culture look like and how do we, you know, want to structure benefits and right. It just, it evolves and changes to where it, it just grows into something so much bigger. Right. Yes. We're Clementines, but like, we're also St. Louis, right? You know, I'm proud that I've been able to put St. Louis on the map nationally in the culinary world in my little slice of pint of ice cream, right? <laughs> like, but like, that, that's me, that, that's us, we did that. And so we have a larger role to play in St. Louis. We have a larger role to play in the communities that we live in as business owners, right? We have to put them, our money where our mouth is and invest in our city and invest in the talent and invest in people. Like, it's just, it's different. Your, your strategies change your, what drives you changes. Yeah, for sure. Right. I love that. Giving up self in service of others is something that I just sort of processed by what yeah. you said in my mind of like giving up self in service of others and the business continues to evolve. And so your priorities continue to evolve. The questions you ask continue to evolve and how you extract meaning evolves as well based on now you've got 158 families you're providing for, which is, that's awesome. So can we come back to that? I would love, before we talk about like your impact and community and the families you're providing for, can you take us through kind of like the origin story? So you're at the lake you have this conversation, you're like, you put your two weeks in, boom, like what happens next? How do you go from one store to where you are now at how you have five, six, seven, seven, seven as of last week. And we'll have eight as of next week. Okay. The Forbes article lied. Well, the Forbes <laughs> well, article is also from a while ago. Yeah. So you've opened 29. <laughs> beep that out so that Forbes doesn't come after me. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but that was a couple years ago. So you had five, you're now at seven stores. Mm -hmm. So how kind of walk, can you walk us through the journey of that first store up to now? Yeah. You know, well, my first shop had to be in Lafayette square cause that was my neighborhood. So I wanted that, like, it couldn't be anywhere else in St. Louis. It had to be in my neighborhood first. Yeah. And you know, that first shop is on the worst corner, uh, of the, and at the time it was under construction. There was no parking. It was like the worst corner in this nice neighborhood sort of thing. Um, and it, but it was, the, it was only 500 square feet and everyone thought I was nuts. And my boyfriend at the time said, I love you, but no one's ever going to come here. You're never going to sell more than $300 a day out of this store. Cause it was such a terrible location. It really is like, like, it's like, a, it's a, now I say it's a hidden gem, but in the beginning people were like, where is it? Like there, you had to park and walk at the time with the construction, you had to walk three blocks to get to my store and they tore up the street for like six months. It was like, I, yeah, yeah. It was probably cheap real estate. It was the only real estate I could afford in my neighbor. I couldn't afford anything on park and everything in that store. Like I did. And we did like, I laid the floors and I put up the tile and I, you know, yeah, I brought in the electrician so I didn't burn the place down. But, you know, but like we like actually created that store and hung up the light. You know, we did a lot of that stuff um, and it was awesome and it was exciting. And I really believed if, if you build it, they will come. And, you know, I did put together a great strategy and marketing plan and I got our name out there before we opened. So people were talking about us. I got our ice cream into restaurants around town. So people were seeing my name and calling and like, Hey, where do I get this? You know? So I had built successfully a lot of buzz around the business. And then when we opened, it was just unbelievable. We had six and seven hour lines that would never end in wow. the summer. We still do like, but in the beginning I was like, Oh my gosh, these lines are crazy. They're just never stopping. And People were wrapped around two blocks in line. It was insane. And I just remember thinking, I've got to get another shop open to alleviate these lines. Right? Because I, I was afraid of losing business. And it just, it took me a couple years to get my second shop. Right? And then I was silly. I GC'd that shop too. Right? Thankfully, I didn't do all the work in that shop. But like, you know, I managed a lot, which you do when you start out and you can't afford to hire people for stuff. And so I, I got the demand shop opened and I'm thinking, Oh, finally the lines are going to go down at, at Lafayette. Nope. Same thing. Six, seven hour lines that never stopped mm. in the summer. And I think it was after the demand shop and that people were, I think we make ice cream so different than everybody else from quality of ingredients, flavors, butterfat, like you name it, the product is so different. It's kind of like how the ice cream was made 50, 7,500 years ago. And people loved it so much that it just became this thing. And, you know, introducing the naughty ice cream and, you know, I was so clever, by the way. Thank you. That was a customer, right? Who was like, hey, you should do this. And then they just continued to pursue you until yeah. you caved in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we were the we were the first ice cream shop in the country to like go national with boozy ice cream you know, we have a trade secret process for that, but also no one in the country did vegan non-dairy ice cream back in 2014. We were the first ones to do that. And so we kind of developed this massive cult following that if you were in the Midwest, 
you drive two, three hours to get our vegan ice creams because now ice cream was now Democrat. It was for everyone, right? So people who couldn't have dairy now could enjoy ice cream and participate because there was an option for them. So, you know, it was just like this thing. And I was like, wow, I think I really have something here. And, you know, that's what I did for my whole, you know, I did brand strategy, marketing. That's what I did my whole career. And I happened to be in the food industry. So I worked in ingredients and I understood food safety. And I'd been in so many food manufacturing plants and facilities. And I got food science and I understood sensory. And so I had all of this amazing, you know, and I ran a $70 million business and I knew what a P&L was and I understood cash flow management. So it was like this, this perfect storm of all those different my, puzzle pieces, all the puzzle pieces for my career, yeah. my love of ice cream, being in the food industry and knowing enough to be dangerous on how to build something, make something, manufacture it and scale it safely. And so from there, it just like, it's kind of like the fly. It just like starts happening. And I always say the ice cream gods are smiling down upon us because it just, as one door would open and then another door would open and another door would open and another opportunity would open. And, and it just, it's always been like that with us. And, you know, part of that's karma, I believe, right? When you do right in the world, the world does right by you. And it's just, we've, we've just had this incredible journey. And I think, being in all of the neighborhood, you know, we're a neighborhood brand, right? We're in so many wonderful neighborhoods and communities. I think that resonates with people, right? Um, everyone wants their local ice cream shop in their neighborhood, right? And consumers today, they want a better product. They want something that's all natural. They want something that's made by people, right? They don't want all, all the artificial crap in it anymore, right? You know, we're, we're, we're moving into an era of makers. Yeah. Right. And, and the younger generations, people want something different. They don't want the big box, everything. They don't want big generic brands, right? They don't want low quality ice cream, right? If you're going to eat it, make it wonderful. I, I would love to talk about transparency and consumer goods for a moment. If, sure. if you're cool with that. Yeah, yeah. So it's like people are becoming more mindful of things that they put in and on their bodies. So my wife, Stephanie and I, we take this a little bit to the extreme. Like we make our own soaps, we make our own spray, like cleaner in the house where we use vinegar and mm -hmm. orange and lemon and lavender oils. And sure. same with our dish soap and our laundry detergent, because we don't know what diplepiline mazochloromorphosate is. Right. And we don't want to put that on our clothes and in our body. Right. So like, <laughs> so we're, we're, t I think as a, as a humanity, as a species, we're becoming more hyper aware of this. And it's like, ice cream is no different in that there are like, for instance, sugar, before you came in the studio, I looked up sugar and I was like, how many different names are there for sugar? And I just pulled up like sugar, caramel, maltose, dextrose, fructose, caramel, maltose, evaporated cane syrup, barley malt, crystalline, except, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So there's so many ways of like hiding products or hiding ingredients in products in hopes that you sort of gloss past it and buy it. Cause you don't really know what that thing is. Why is this so important? Like consumer transparency and how are you different from some of these other manufacturing companies? 
well, or not manufacturing product, consumer product. Sure. Companies. CPG. Yeah. Um, because I'd worked in the food industry, I know what they use and how they use it and why they use it. Right. I know that in ice cream that they whip so much air into it to fill more containers to use less product. I know our, all of the artificial ingredients and preservatives that they want something to have a, a five-year frozen shelf life, right? So I think coming from the industry where I know the tips and tricks and all the crap that they use to make food taste better, last longer, be cheaper, that when I decided to start Clementine's, I was not going to do that. Like if I'm going to start a company and do it, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do it the right way. And I'm going to have transparency and I'm going to make the, the best tasting, most decadent product. It can be done. It's just expensive to make it that way. And a lot of companies, they don't want to do that, right? They're all about margins yeah. and, and crazy uh, supply chain costs and everything. And, and just for, for me, like that was, if I, if I was going to make a product and if I was going to make ice cream, I was going to make the best damn ice cream in the country. And I believe I do because I don't, I don't skimp. I don't use artificial anything, right? No artificial fillers, flavors, emulsifiers. Like we don't use that in our product. One, because I don't want to, and I don't like it. And, and it doesn't taste good, right? Like, Ice cream is very fundamental. You know, you need milk, cream, sugar, nonfat. Like there, there's like certain ingredients that you need to, that you can make great ice cream with. Yeah. And if you make great ice cream, you don't need it to sit in a freezer for a year because people are going to eat it. <laughs> so true. Okay. So you have beef. So like my wife and I, when we go to the store, we buy Haagen-Dazs. Now I know you won't buy their product anymore because a couple years ago they went from, they rename their pint, not as a 16 ounce, but a 14 ounce, but they screw all of those big CPG companies have screwed screwed all the consumers and consumers didn't even, but they only use five ingredients. So it's cream, milk, sugar, eggs, vanilla. I cannot speak to that specific brand. What I can speak to is that a lot of things that are a derivative of other things can be called something else. Right. So no one makes a product with five ingredients. Hmm. And anything that there is less than, if there is less than 2% of something, you do not, you are not required to call it out on a label. Hmm. So if you read FDA regulations, they have different limits set for different kinds of things. And if it's less than that, you don't even have to put it on your label. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Are there certain ingredients that you think that we should be avoiding that could be in our consumer goods, the things that we're eating? Anything with artificial colors and dyes, like a lot of the, you know, there, there are some natural preservatives that are fine to use. Yes, there's still a preservatives, but you know, there's, there's no standard of identity for natural, which is unfortunate, right? I, I wish they would do that because I think that would make things a lot more clear for the consumer. Yeah. Um, but I tend to stay away from all those nasty artificial preservatives, colors, fillers, emulsifiers, you know. Like propylene glycol? Yeah, anything with an ioxide at the end, you don't want to put it in your body, right? If you can't pronounce it or you don't know what it is, you shouldn't be eating it. Yeah, I'm with you there. In, in my opinion, uh, right? I, couldn't, I, I totally agree. No, I'm not and, saying that they're not safe, yeah. right? Because they're generally right, you know, when you put something in a food product, it's 
typically grass, which is generally recognized as safe by the SBA. They call it grass. Like there's lots of things that are safe. But they're not, there's not enough research there to really know how safe is that thing over a long period of time. Why, why do you? Why would you even risk why, it? Why, why would you do that? Yeah. Right? Um, so we, we really try our best not to use anything like that, even if we have to pay a premium for something. Even our vegan sugar for our vegan ice cream. Little known fact. So I found out about this a couple of years ago that all sugar, most, not all, a lot of sugars out there um, are filtered through bone char, which helps make the sugar white. Hmm. So it can be organic sugar and still be filtered through bone char. What is bone char? Bone, animal bones. Oh, okay. Bone char to make it white. So therefore, you cannot use, I would not use traditional sugar in vegan ice cream because it goes through a bone char. So once I found out that most sugars go through bone char, I, in good conscience, could not use that sugar anymore. What's, a, what's the sugar that you use? So we use specific vegan sugar, um, and there is a, a handful of plants. There's one seen H plant in uh, Yonkers that does not use bone char in their sugar. And so I pay five times as much for my vegan sugar as I do for my regular sugar because I know that it's vegan. And Un, unwavering commitment to integrity. Absolutely. That's awesome. Absolutely. Really awesome. But, and it's becoming... And I didn't know, right? Like, I had no idea. I was like, are you kidding? And I started doing all this research. Someone sent me an article and I'm like, no flipping way. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we can't use that brand of sugar anymore for our vegan ice cream. Because hmm. that, that wouldn't be cool. Not when I've made such a commitment to that community. Yeah. I love that. I put... Uh, I, I wrote... You know, I was just taking notes... Um, on things that, sure. uh, and Lachlan did a, a, an amazing job. Thank you, by the way, for the research you put into uh, Tamara and her background. But I, I had to spell out here um, something that I thought was really important and thought, of course, organically, that's going to come up in our conversations. And it's that you put integrity, quality, and heart before profit. And to my own disadvantage at many times. <laughs> Uh, hey, but I like, and that's not to say that profit is not important. Like as businesses, we of need course, to make profit we have to make because money. you've got to be able to provide for those 158 families, but you're doing it with heart. And unfortunately that's becoming more sparse in the for-profit world. And what we're seeing is a rise of nonprofits, you know, in different certifications. Now you've got B corporations that are coming out because people are like, you know what, if this doesn't exist in the marketplace to hell with it, I'm going to go out there and create it. Like you said, we're in, we're in this space of innovators and marketers and pioneers and, and believers and dreamers and doers, do-gooders, who if they're not going to buy a product that's inferior if it has ingredients they can't pronounce because we want longevity. We want to have more moments and memories with our families. And we know that if, you know, if putting a certain product in our body is going to pull from that opportunity. We're just going to go out there and create something that's going to create a better life for people and for humanity. I think that's awesome that you all are in that space where you're not willing to compromise the integrity of what you stand for, for the profit of your company. No, because if you make a great product, the profit will come later. The profit will come because someone will come in not once a year and not once a summer. They'll come in once a month or once a week. Hell yeah. Right. It's so cool. So I believe in our mission, you know, I, I believe in that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned a little while ago, community. Um, how are you and the team at Clementine's? I mean, you're, you're giving back to the community in so many different ways by providing them a product that creates moments like their family can have those memories together of going and sharing an ice cream cone or a cup. Um, beyond that, what else are you doing? Like what else does community mean to you and how do you give back to the community through Clementine's? Oh boy. I think, I, I think we do a lot. I think we're pretty intentional about being part of the community. I think uh, we're very intentional about having our workforce look like our customer base, right? That's important. I think there, um, I'm a really big supporter of the LGBTQ uh, community and Clementine's is known as a safe pace, place, excuse me, for those people who are in transition. And so I think as a business owner, we have the opportunity to like I said, put our money where our mouth is and, and, and be part of the community, be, be part of the communities that we believe in that we serve. That's beautiful. Right. And I think Clementine's is one of the most diverse businesses in St. Louis. When you look at our employees and when you look at our customers, like we, we serve everyone, right? Ice cream is for everyone. It's not um, a fancy restaurant that is so cost prohibitive that only certain people can eat there. Right. You know, good times or bad times, right. When the economy's tough, you may not be able to take your family out for dinner and a movie, but you can cook dinner at home and you can go out for ice cream. It's non-discretionary. Yeah. It's not discretionary spending where you have to eliminate it. It's like you're buying ice cream, whether times are good or bad, whether good or bad. And when times are bad, you're probably going to buy ice cream a little more, more because it's that little bit of joy yeah. that you're going to be able to take you and your kids out for, or, you know, when things get better then you go out for ice cream more, you right? Ice cream is this, I don't want to say it's a blind purchase, but it's, it's this affordable luxury and moments of connection for connection for people that I think is like super, super important that people need. I mean, gosh, when I think back to the pandemic, right? We, 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 it was tough. It was so tough on us. You know, we had almost no occupancy all year, but we thrived. Like we were the only ice cream company to stay open the entire year. We didn't close one day during the pandemic wow. when everyone else did, because I didn't have a choice. My workforce, you know, a lot of, a lot of those folks, my production people, they don't have savings accounts. Right. The government didn't start handing out money till months and months later. Like, what were my people going to what were my, my team? What were they going to do? How are they going to pay their rent? How are they going to buy groceries? How are they going to put shoes on their kids feet? Like so like I didn't have a choice. Hmm. Right. We, we stayed open and we hustled and we pivoted and we figured it out. Right. And and look, and in the pandemic, everybody needed ice cream. <laughs> right? Through all the fear and uncertainty and sadness and loneliness. Sometimes that was the only time people got out of their house once a week was in their car to come up curbside to get ice cream. And we were able to connect with people, single people who were by themselves. Like it was amazing. Or people would come to take like, yeah, it was, it was amazing. We, it was a hard choice to stay open and we left it up to the team if they wanted to stay open. And and they did, but thank goodness we did because people needed us, right? Like yeah. we were an essential business, but 
Like people really needed ice cream and they needed that connection. Sometimes it, even if it was just with us. Sorry, I digress. No, no, that was good. Just, that was good. I very much appreciate that. Um, what advice would you give to other small business owners? I, I mean, we talked about this a little bit too, before we hit record. Oh gosh. I don't remember what we were saying. Kind of like let go of the process and enjoy the journey. Yeah. You, you know what? You, you got to do what you, you know what they say. If you love what you do, you never work another day in your life. Right. So, you know, I started Clementines. I just thought I was going to be a little ice cream shop in Lafayette square. Right. And I was going to get married and have a kid and raise my little girl in the ice cream shop. Like, like I had no idea. Like I had such a different romantic notion of what Clementines was going to be versus what it has evolved and grown into. But if you love what you do, you just roll with it. Right. I like, I didn't have any expectation of making a lot of money. Like I, I didn't go into Clementine saying, I'm going to build this empire and I'm going to make all this money. I said, I want to go have purpose and be happy every day. And whatever that outcome looks like, I'm okay with that. I think this notion of, oh, we have to have these careers and we have to go to college and we have to do all these things and get to this place in life. I think it's kind of bullshit. You can bleep me out for that one. But you know, because happiness looks different for different people. Yeah. And I think, especially, you know, I was 38, right? When I decided to make a life change, career change and, and start the business, I think you just have to get to a place in your life where you have confidence to say, this is what I want to do and I'm going to go for it. And you're willing to take the risk and you just, just do it. Yeah. At what point do you reach that mountaintop? Cause like, I know we talked about that there is no proverbial mountaintop. Matter of fact, Jim Carrey talks about this after he won an Emmy and an Oscar. And he says, oh my gosh, I was never more lonely because I was seeking something that was outside of me. And as opposed to seeking what was inside of me. And sometimes the most beautiful views come from the hardest climbs, but it's not the climb that's outside. It's the, it's what's inside. So for you, like, what is that, that precipice or that peak where you're like, you know what? I've done it. I don't need to do anymore. Like, what is that for you? You know, I, I don't know that I have a peak or a press. I don't know that I'm looking for something. I, I think I, I just live my life from a place of gratitude every day. Right. I'm so lucky to do what I can do. Right. I'm so lucky to be part of the community. I'm so lucky to have employ. you know, that we provide jobs for these. I'm so happy and, and lucky and grateful to do what I do every day and that St. Louis lets us do it and that we keep growing. So I, I don't know, I, you know, I've won all the big ice cream awards in the country, right? Every year we continue to win. We just last week found out we won the number one vegan ice cream in America again, one of the awards and, and it's awesome and it's amazing. You know, I don't, I don't know that I have a, like, if I just get here, yeah. I think I let that go when I left my corporate life because there was like finite growth points that if I just get to this title, if I just make to this much money, if I just get to here, I don't think about Clementines that way. I think. So it's a lifelong journey for you yeah, and you yeah, get to play the video game, whether or not you beat the boss or not. It's like, you know, beating yeah. the boss in the video game doesn't matter to you. That's like winning and getting on to the next level. It's more about the journey. It's the journey and it's freedom and time, right? Yeah. Like I, I think I'll, we'll have made it when I 
get more free time in my life and I get to travel more and, and get to spend time with the people that I love. Right. Like I actually, the bigger we get, the more fun I'm having because I can now hire people to do all the things that I'm not good at or that I don't want to do. That's how I feel. Right. Right. And so it actually gets way more fun. And I feel like I'm actually able to do a better job with my superpowers because I'm not stuck in the weeds doing all the stuff that I'm not supposed to be doing that in the beginning you have to do, right. You just have to do it, but now I don't have to do it anymore. So it, it gets more fun. Yeah. Great answer. Um, is there a charity that you support? Like if someone's listening right now, they really love your store. Is there a charity that's really close to your heart? That's like, Hey, if you have the discretionary money out there and you want to support a particular cause, go put a couple million dollars in this particular charity or this cause that means something to you. You know, I support a lot of endeavors and I'm not one to like tout like, Oh, we give to this. And we, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the anonymous donor, right. That gives because I don't really want that. Thanks. But I think I do a lot to support young girls in St. Louis. Right. Um, I think that the Miriam school is amazing. I think doorways does amazing stuff for, uh, LGBTQ and and the HIV community in St. Louis. I, I'm a big, I'm, I'm always for the underdog, right? So not that the big charitable organizations out there don't do good, but I want to give to all the organizations that are small, that have tight budgets that people don't give to a lot. Yeah. So, you know, whether that's MTUG or doorways or the Miriam school, right? Doorways. I've heard of that. Excuse me. Yeah. Or, or rung for women. That place is amazing right? The way that they're elevating women and providing them resources and, and mental wellness and health and wellness and all kinds of job training skills to lift them up out, you know, um, I don't know. I think I just, I, I think as a little girl growing up, I I guess now I say to be one, you got to see one. I never saw one. Right. I thought women were just teachers and nurses. I didn't know you could own a company. I didn't know you could be a scientist. I didn't know you could be a CEO. And so I really like to get out there and talk and support different organizations that empower young girls to discover what they can be and what they want to be. And you just became, you were accepted into the James Beard program for women in business last year, right? In the culinary world. Yeah. The fellowship, which is huge. Yeah, I mean, it's the number one culinary association or recognition in the country, for sure. It's really awesome. Yeah. So what's your message out there to young uh, young women who are striving or aspiring to be entrepreneurs? Just look look right into that camera and tell them <laughs> what you want to tell them. I, get, I don't want to cuss. Um, I was going to say just fucking do it. Um, but yeah, bleep that. Um, no, no, no. We're keeping that <laughs> for sure. Do you hear that? For all of our, our young aspiring <laughs> entrepreneurs moms are going to hate there. them listening to this. No, but just do it. Um, where, where can someone read? Like if, if, if there's a young woman that wants to be to, to like follow you and like follow your journey, where should they go? 
Are you on like Instagram or LinkedIn, TikTok? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Clementines is on Instagram. I, I don't really have a personal page because Clementines is my life and everything I feel like is out there anyway. Um, but, but yeah, you can, you can follow us, uh, Clementine's Creamery on Instagram or Facebook. That's awesome. Can we, and you said where you have a national footprint now you've established relationships with growth grocery stores and distribution centers so we can get you now at local grocery stores. No, you cannot. Um, actually, uh, strategically, I do not want to be in grocery stores. So my growth plan is to not go into grocery stores at this point. Okay. Um, it's a high volume, low margin business that is incredibly taxing on everybody who plays in that channel. And I don't want to do it. I care about my people too much. Um, what about for customers outside of St. Louis? Can they get your product delivered? They can, they can order it online and we ship it all over the country. That's awesome. And eventually we'll be in your city, right? I, I do have lofty growth plans for Clementines. You know, we're, we're going to start, we're going into our second market next week into Illinois and we'll go into a couple of other additional markets in 24 and 25. But ultimately the goal is to take Clementines national. So hopefully we'll be in your city, at least well, in the Midwest. Cheers, my caffeine to your success Thank and you. continued growth. Thank it's you. been an honor having you here today. My last question for you before we go into the rapid fire, which is just a series of questions, personal fun questions to okay. get to know you. Um, last question is like any new flavors on the horizon or maybe your best selling flavor right now? Always gooey butter cake. That's a top. It's always our number one seller. We made it famous. Too. I'm going to Lake St. Louis tonight. I'm going to get some gooey butter cake. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, there are some, so we are going to be doing this fall, a collaboration with the, um, <clears throat> badass women from golden gems. And I'm really excited for those flavors. So check those out. Nice. It'll be a really, really cool collab. The badass women from Golden Gems. Yes. Okay. Yes. Are you familiar with the girls? No. You got to check them out. They're amazing. What What is it? What are Golden the Golden Gems women? is a uh, a concept created by two sisters that are all focused around female empowerment. So they, they're masterful retail merchandisers. They create amazing merchandise and it's all about empowering women. And they're just, they're absolutely amazing. I, I adore them. Could there just be like words in the ice cream, like a little bit, a little dash of love, a little <laughs> bit of sweetness, a little compassion, a little self empathy in there. That's right. That's a dash right. of this. A little bit of this, a little bit. Oh, the names will be really fun. Oh, and the awesome. merch will be really cool when it comes out. Oh, looking forward to that. That's cool. It. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire. Okay. Favorite book, movie, or podcast. And your podcast is obviously this podcast. Of course. But of besides course. this one, what would you say your favorite movie, book, or podcast? Or podcast. You can just pick one. Somewhere in time. Is that a movie? <laughs> yes. Before your time. Okay. <laughs> it was Somewhere with time. Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeves. It's from the eighties. Oh, I'm an eternal hopeless romantic, but you should totally watch it. Somewhere so cool. In time. Somewhere in time. Is it a crier? Definitely. Amazing. My wife will love that. We love movies that make us feel. That's great. Not that we don't, we've, we're just like very It's like watching emotional a notebook, people. right? Yeah, yeah. You gotta like love, yeah. yeah. Somewhere in time. We love love. Yeah, it's, it's I fun. love love too. Um, favorite 
oh my gosh, Lachlan, what's, what are my other like six questions? <laughs> Wait, can you put this in the outtakes? <laughs> I have like six I questions that I do for every podcast. And I'm like, I'm thinking about the movie and I'm thinking about my wife and I sharing a <laughs> bottle of wine on the couch, watching this, like cuddling up together with Absolutely. Sage oh my gosh. and our puppy. You have to tell me what you think of the movie too. Okay, I will. It's amazing. Um, favorite place you've traveled? Paris. Why? It's where my heart is. So you're going to move there potentially at some point in the at future. At some point. Maybe take Clementines with you? You never know. Make it global? Maybe. All right. Cool. Really cool. Um, it's the most romantic city in the world. Who's someone that's really influential to you in your life right now that you think we should have on the podcast? Who has an interesting story as an entrepreneur or a change agent? that you think our audience could benefit from hearing their story. Sharon John is amazing. She's the CEO of Build-A-Bear right now. She's hugely influential on me. You know who's coming on the, well, I'm putting this out there right now. My dad's mentor, Maxine Clark. She's, Maxine's former. one of my mentors as oh, well. Oh, no kidding. Yep, yep. But Sharon's awesome. We need to get Maxine on the podcast too. Um, Sharon, okay, awesome. I think Jillian Tedesco from Fit Flavors is amazing. I was there earlier. I love Jillian. She's, She's awesome. She's her product badass. is awesome. Yeah. I think uh, Chelsea Theodoropoulos from Burn Bootcamp. She's inspiring for sure. I think Leslie Gill from Rung for Women is amazing. I mean, these are kind of people in my world now that are influential on me who are just in incredible. Tamara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you uh, for having me sharing your story on the impact roadmap podcast. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, this story is all about providing a platform to entrepreneurs that are genuinely making an impact and leaving the planet better than they found it. So thank you for everything that you do to contribute to this community and to society at large. It's really inspirational and keeps us going here. Thank you so much. Hey, if this episode was valuable to you, then uh, share it with someone that you love, someone that you know that could benefit from it. Also, be sure to subscribe and depending on how you're listening, go ahead and leave a comment or review. This will help ensure that we are connecting with other nonprofit leaders so that we can get this critical information out to them. And if your company is in the early or even late stages of putting on an event, go to our website, utopiaexperience.com and click the book us tab and schedule a free discovery call to see if our services would be a right fit for your event. And even if they're not, that's okay. I promise you our expertise can steer you in the right direction so you'll get value either way. Thanks for listening to the Impact Roadmap and we'll see you next time.